I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we're here to talk about the 2011 Telltale Games Jurassic Park video game. Uh, of course, if you're joining us, you probably are aware that we run a podcast called Jurassic Park Minute, where we break down Jurassic Park Minute by Minute and talk about it in depth. And today we're going to be talking about this 2011 video game, which neither of us have played. <laughs> but uh, we have studied pretty intently before we're talking about it here. Yeah. But yeah, it, this so this game came out in 2011. And uh, I think, so did you play any Jurassic Park video games before this one came out? I've never been a big gamer. And I think it's important up front that we let the listeners know that uh, yeah. we're reviewing this from the uh, cut scenes that were compiled, like right. instead of from gameplay, because you know this is more of it's a movie breakdown podcast. So we're kind of watching this as a movie, right? We're more interested in kind of the story than the actual gameplay. And I'll speak to a little bit about the gameplay because I have played some Telltale games and uh, just kind of their history and how this game came about and everything. But um, I think that I remember really enjoying the Super Nintendo yeah, Jurassic Park video cool. game. It was yeah. kind of like an overhead isometric view type thing where you were playing as Alan Grant and you were going around the island uh, picking up stuff. But it was it really uh, it was it was almost like a Zelda game almost uh, in the way this kind of like you had to go around pick up power ups and yeah. And then it also had this really weird first-person shooter component where you would go from paddock to paddock, and there were these underground tunnels connecting them. And it would be told from, like, you're walking along, like, shooting at uh, velociraptors and Dilophosaurus underground. Yeah, you would like shoot that. them with, like, electricity or something? I think there was an electrical cattle prod, which you, when you ran out of ammo, you could use that. There was a shotgun, and there was also, like, a tranquilizer gun, which you would use to shoot at the T-Rex. And it was the only way to keep the T-Rex from coming to get you. But the T-Rex was scripted so that every now and then you'd be walking around a certain part of the island, and you'd just hear do-do-do, and then you'd look up. And and it would like come running out at you, but yeah. the majority of the game was shooting like uh, compies and velociraptors and, and Dilophosaurus and it stuff was, like that. I mean, it was very simple, but I do remember enjoying that. Yeah, uh, I believe there was one for Sega that came out for the there Lost was. World where you could be a raptor. Uh, I think that was that might have actually been for Jurassic Park, and it might have been oh, called really? Jurassic Park Two. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I didn't own a Genesis. Yeah. Was, I was a Nintendo kid, uh, but that one was pretty cool because you got to play as Alan Grant trying to get out of there, and then you also played as a Velociraptor trying to escape. And of course, they had different uh, styles of of uh, gameplay. The Velociraptor would kind of like was able to jump really far and stuff, and you know Grant was able to use tools. Uh, not, not a bad game, but Jurassic Park has had a lot of bad games. Uh, they've had, of course, we talked a little bit about Trespasser, which was the game that came out around the time of the Lost World. It's a which, little too advanced, uh, technically, well, or yeah, something. It, it I never was, played it. It was hard for computers to run, but it was one of the first video games that had a physics engine in it, so meaning that objects in the world would have a real weight to them. So instead of like having compelling gameplay, it was a lot of you like picking up cinder blocks and placing them down and... Uh, they had this really weird health component where in order to find out how much health you had, you had to look down, and when you did, uh, you had a tattoo. Of, you, you you played a woman, and there was a yeah. tattoo of a heart on her breast, and it would kind of, as your health drained, a that heart weird got, idea. It was really weird and kind of made you feel creepy, but uh, it, it had a lot of high production value in it. I think Minnie Driver did the voice of the character, and then I think they even got uh, uh, Attenborough to come back and do some voiceovers for some stuff you'd find around yeah, the island. Yeah, very strange, but... Yeah. Um, Guess cool if you're a Jurassic Park buff. Yeah. So uh, I had that game. I thought it was so cool when the when I heard about the physics engine. I went out and bought it day one and got it back. And like my computer could not run it. It was so slow. Like all you could do is basically. So there's the thing called like system requirements. And on the bottom of a lot of boxes, it says, "Okay, this is the minimum system requirements you have to have to run the game." And here's the suggested system requirements. And for some reason, they would put these minimum system requirements, meaning like, yeah, you can start the game, but you won't be able to play it most of the time. Yeah. So I got it thinking like, well, at least I'll be able to start it and kind of you know. To everything out and then nope the thing the frame rate was so slow that in order to walk around i had to stare at the ground so i'd be walking around and then i'd hear like a dinosaur coming i'd be like oh better not look up the game is gonna freeze so 
yeah, not exactly a great game there. But Telltale Games uh, Jurassic Park was actually, you know, uh, people got really excited about this when it came out because Telltale Games usually have a very high uh, pedigree with them. Do, have you ever played a Telltale Games uh, uh, game? Or do you no. know? No. Whenever I say I'm not a gamer, that's like an understatement. I have no knowledge really yeah. of, of the gaming world. Uh, so, do you know what adventure games are? No. Okay, so back in maybe the late 80s, early 90s, uh, LucasArts, the George Lucas's yeah. video game company, uh, a division of that made these what they call adventure games, point-and-click adventure games. Uh, Monkey Island was a very famous one. Uh, Return to Monkey Island, I think, was the sequel. Uh, they, King's there Quest. Was some, uh, yes, King's Quest is okay. a perfect yeah. example of an adventure game. Uh, there were some Indiana Jones ones, I think, that were actually uh, pretty well regarded. But these games were great. Maniac Mansion, if you remember that. I think Maniac Mansion was actually developed by LucasArts. So basically what these games are is they usually consist they back in the day they consisted of one screen where you were playing a character, you would point on the screen, and the character would walk around and interact with different objects on it. And it would be a lot of like, oh, let's take this uh, firecracker that I find over here and this paperclip, and we're going to use it to make like a crossbow or something weird like that. You picked up a lot of weird objects and used them to make other objects that later in the game you would use to open up a room or finish a puzzle or something like that. Uh, and they contained a lot of voice acting. So you'd click around, the character would interact with stuff, and they were a lot of fun. Uh, LucasArts uh, let go of a lot of employees, and they went and formed a couple of different companies, one of them being Telltale Games. I think the other one, I can't remember the name of the company, but I have a lot of the games. And Anyway, um, so these are the guys who basically developed and invented the adventure game genre, and they're really great with licensing. They get licenses for like all sorts of stuff. They have a Guardians of the Galaxy game coming out, uh, later this year, but they're also well known for uh, Sam and Max Save the World, a Strong Bad's cool game for attractive people, Tales of Monkey Island, Back to the Future the game, Jurassic Park the game, of course, The Walking Dead, A Wolf Among Us, and then uh, some Game of Thrones games that have come out. They also made Tales of the Borderlands and Minecraft Story Mode, and actually, they have a Batman game that came out this last year, which is actually a really cool kind of twist on Batman. So, the way these games work, and specifically Telltale games, uh, it's a lot of story, a lot of narrative. You're usually playing the main protagonist, like Batman or something like that in the game. Uh, but then you get choose-your-own-adventure-style dialogue wills, and I'm sure you saw a lot of that in the yeah, game, Yeah, right? and that's what kept coming to mind was the choose-your-own-adventure uh, children's books. Yeah. When it would say, like, how do you want to continue having this conversation? And it would give you options on, like, if you wanted to continue to listen to someone's story, give some advice, mm -hmm. or, you know, wh whatever the case may be. And that's what was coming to mind. So yeah. whenever you say adventure games, that makes sense. And sometimes it wildly affects the outcome of the story. The Walking Dead games are kind of known for if you you piss off another character early in the game, that character might come back and try to kill you later. Or if you kill an, one character, you needed that character to advance the story in a specific way so they can branch off into a bunch of different directions. Jurassic Park doesn't seem to have that. It has a very linear narrative uh, mm -hmm. selection of, of what's going on. I think the very end of the game, you make a decision that can... Uh, affect the outcome at the end of the game in one of two different ways. So we'll talk about that when we talk about the story. Again, primarily we're talking about the story here. But one of the cool things that Telltale Games has done is their system, uh, you probably saw a lot of the times where like Nemo was running along and she was given an option to do a, a like duck underneath a log yeah, or yeah. you know jump on a tree or pick up a device, uh, something and try to use it on a velociraptor. Well, they developed a system that's called a quick time. Well, they didn't develop quick time events. That I think came in Shin Mune a long time ago. But um, basically, you're given a very short period of time to to do something action-wise. So it's either pick up a wrench, throw it at a Velociraptor, or they did some really strange stuff where it was like, try to calm your character down. 
And, you know, a character yeah. might be trying to hide from a dinosaur. And if you don't, or if you aren't able to like center this little thing over, you know, a, a smaller circle, then your character will freak out and a dinosaur will find you and kill you. That's the way that they kind of incorporate a gameplay into the adventure game setting. So, uh, and, you know, to varying degrees of effect, that's one of the big problems with this game, apparently, is people felt that the, uh, that system did not work well or was poorly developed with the game. This game had a little bit of development trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was first announced, I think, uh, in 2010 that it was going to be coming out in 2011. And usually what Telltale does, they release things episodically. So you might get an hour of the game one month, and then the next month is the next part of the game. Because they're actually writing and producing this stuff sometimes as it goes along. I know with The Walking Dead, Gary Whitta was the writer on that. And as they produced the game, uh, he would kind of develop what could happen based on how people felt about what, felt about what happened in the previous um, episode. So, you know, this game is not the most graphically intensive game. I thought the graphics look fine. Did they work fine for telling the story, but they're able to get in there and script things in a way that they're not, uh, they don't have to develop new graphics for it. You know, they have the system that works and they kind of mold that to fit the story. So the story can actually be an active production as the game's going along. Well, Jurassic Park wasn't like that. They were going to make it this uh, thing that was going to be developed over the course of four months, and then they had some problems with it. They went back to redevelop the game, and instead of releasing it over the four months, they released it all at once. So basically, you, yeah. you had the option of playing, paying for it episode by episode, or you could pay for the whole thing and get a discount. And play so it that's like that. what that was. Yeah. Because at like three or four points, it would stop and say, like, yes. the new title of the new chapter or yes. whatever. Yeah, it was. that's yeah. basically how it is chapters. Now, I played. The, the Walking Dead one for a couple of those chapters, and I thought it was actually quite good, and I don't like The Walking Dead, so that says a lot. I also played the Game of Thrones one, which I thought was pretty good as well, uh, and it's the same way. These these chapters don't cost a lot. They're like five bucks to ten bucks, something like that, and they you know are usually an hour, two hours worth of play, so it's, it's a really good value for that, uh, but when they have one that the story seems to be a little bit, it has to fit the specific mold. Uh, it seems like you're not really playing the game so much as you are watching it. And I think that's why this game had a lot of mixed reviews uh, because of the gameplay. Now, I'll say, after watching this and reading about it, and you having watched it, uh, I actually thought the story for a Jurassic Park sequel was quite good. Yes. It didn't have the depth, of course, of Jurassic Park, and I don't think that it uh, you know, really was worried too much about the themes or the characters of that, but as far as like an action story or a logical follow-up to the original Jurassic Park, I thought it did a pretty good job with the source material. I thought that they reused a lot of the locations in a really creative way, and they did some stuff that I, I would have preferred to have seen in a story uh, over what I actually got in The Lost World, so... But uh, yeah, I'm going to kind of throw it back over to you right now and kind of get your feelings on on what you felt about the games, uh, some stuff about it. Because I know you sat down and you watched the entire playthrough. Yeah, it was like four j- hours four or four something. Hour chunk. Yeah. yeah. I got to say right up front, I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. I thought this was the follow-up to the first film that I would have wanted. Yeah. Uh, more so than any of the follow-up films that we had. The title kind of throws me off because it's called Jurassic Park The Game, which I would think implies that it's you're playing uh, the movie and the right. characters you had in the movie. So a different title might have... Yeah, I was kind of misled. I'm not saying that's intentionally so, but just kind of misled. Um, Maybe something like Jurassic Park, the adventure game or something like that. Yeah, or something like that. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. it, The ideal follow-up for me. Um, It incorporated just enough from the film, uh, films, um, so that you still had that kind of nostalgic uh, callback. But it uh, it also brought a lot of new stuff, like just the right amount of new stuff in. And I think the thing that makes... Jurassic Park, the first film, stand out over the other ones is the fact that it had such an emphasis on the moral issue, the moral problem. Right. This had that, and it had that through the uh, character of Dr. Laura Sorkin, mm-hmm. who was like the crazed environmentalist. 
and was trying to screw over the rest of the group and put their lives in danger for the sake of that. So they, they even kept that going. So it kind of flipped the script a little bit as opposed to like the gen, the geneticist and the, uh, the uh, Enterprise in the first one, which put business over life. This one kind of went to the exact yeah, extreme, exactly. like, we need to kill all humans and just let yeah. animals run the earth it's a type of uh, environmentalist, right? Exactly. So it changed it just enough to make it its own thing, but it mm-hmm. still had that kind of, that same quality. Yeah. Uh, so and, was, and it also, I don't know if you're going to speak to this, but Nima's character reveals later on in it that she was actually part of an indigenous tribe that lived on Isla Sorna before they were forced out. But, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll hold on to that. Okay. So the uh, conceit of this story is the shaving cream can yeah i have forever since i first saw this movie thought when the shaving cream can falls and gets the mud all over it it is lost forever that's the point crime doesn't pay yeah don't go back to it that's just so cheap i was willing to let that slide because of the way that this story handled it so for the first time in all the years that i've thought about that and had that problem i finally said they kind of made it work they made Mm -hmm. it work for me now, I also like the fact that this was taking place sort of in part at the same time as the first film. And there's a really cool moment where they look up and you see the helicopter flying yeah. away with the characters. So it kind of takes place uh, during and after the events right. of Jurassic Park, which is the only way that that shaving cream can would be able to be a viable exactly. plot point. Exactly. Yeah. If you're going to use the shaving cream can, eh, shaving cream can uh, element, it's got to be within, I think, 36 hours I or think something so. yeah. of, of the time that he uh, first uses it. So, so it's like Halloween 2 almost. It starts it picks up immediately after <laughs> Halloween 1 ends. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. We get a few callbacks to the first film. Just enough to satisfy that nostalgia, you know, need that we all have. And some of those things are the character of Dr. Harding. Now, who's our lead protagonist here? Uh, if you are going to bring back one of the characters we were familiar with from the first film and have it be kind of... Uh, have it make sense. Mm-hmm. It would probably. I think it would be him. So obviously, there's a couple of uh, changes that they've made to the character. You know, in the film, he was an older guy with a big bushy mustache and just really kind of soft-spoken. And in this, he's he definitely looks like your typical like action hero. Uh, he's definitely not played that or written written that way though, which I thought kind of gave Nima's uh, character a little bit more. And it kind of gave that part to her. And he actually mentions at one point. Uh, the poisonous plants. He's like, what if we were actually accidentally feeding these animals poisonous plants, which I thought was kind of a funny, you know, callback to the movie. Can I stop you real quick and just say something? I never put two and two together that that was the father of Sarah Harding from the lost world. Kind of sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And her younger sister is in this as well, but go ahead. Yeah. And, um, one of the things I actually thought, uh, about the game was that some of the characters, and some of the storylines were kind of cheesy yeah. and everything, but I still followed it all. I was still invested in it all. I still really liked all of them. And anytime there was some sort of like inner family drama, some of it was kind of laughable, but it was still, uh, I still really dug it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that all of the Jurassic films have is uh, a subplot involving, or not a subplot, but it's, it's, there's always a kid in the mix. Yeah. And it never, it doesn't really always work. I thought it worked in this one. There is a joke. She's 15 years old in this. Yeah. And there's a joke about her doing nit- nitrous oxide. Oh, really? Yes. And the guys, like, <laughs> she starts talking about how the nitrous in the uh, in the uh, air tanks for whenever they have to go underwater has uh, nitrous in it. She starts going off about like the different um, things it produces, uh. like uh, side effects. And the guy's like, how do you know that? And she's like, um, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, this girl's been doing whippets. A 15-year-old. So I was uh-huh. going, okay. Uh, another little funny callback that we have to the first film is whenever Dr. Sorkin is looking at a security monitor screen on her computer screen, 
it's got the little QuickTime status bar going by. Oh, does it? Did you see that? <laughs> no, I missed yeah. that. And uh, let's see. So one thing about Jess, the character, uh, Jess Harding, uh, his daughter, in the, is that I was not prepared for her to uh, be killed on screen by dinosaurs. I think that's one thing we need to talk about. I, don't, I guess you probably didn't see this because you saw one straight playthrough. If you ever screw up, while you're playing, the character's violently killed on screen by dinosaurs. There, I did not there's see YouTube that. compilations we have to go back and watch when this is yeah. over of people in these different scenarios uh, not getting it right, not hitting the timing right, and being eaten by dinosaurs. Uh, Jess is straight up mauled and destroyed by I the Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, <laughs> at several points. She's just picked up and thrown up in the air and chomped on. <laughs> so I thought that was, uh, I wasn't ready for that. I was watching yeah. a review for this. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that just happened. Yeah. The, the dinosaur attacks in this are pretty, they, they don't hold back. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we're talking spoilers here right uh the character of billy who is kind of the villain or whatever is thinks he's making off right at the end of the shaving cream cannon man yeah. the t-rex nah he gives it to him <laughs> uh i love that like the tyrannosaurus rex is able to sneak up on people because first yeah. of all every time it steps you can like you know it shakes everything around you but then secondly the thing's got to stink you know I don't know if you've been around like a big lizard. They don't exactly smell very well. So it's kind of like you had this giant thing breathing behind you and you can't smell it. (laughs) Um, Some of the other stuff that I really got out of the game was uh, the fact that you had to use, like like you said, it's an adventure game. So you have to choose how you're going to handle certain situations. One of them was uh, how you're going to administer a shot to someone in a, in a Jeep that's like rolling along a gravel, uh, you know, bumpy road. Uh, You have to steady the shot. Yeah. (laughs) One of them is Billy has to, he has to kind of manipulate Dr. Sorkin. He has to kind of manipulate Dr. Sorkin uh, by telling her, kind of building up her ego and so that he can kind of reverse what she's thinking she's going to do or whatever. And I was like, that's really, really, really strange. Uh, another point is you have to, you get to choose like what kind of parental advice you're going to give your teenage daughter. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell kind of game is this? But uh, that's part of what made me so invested in it. I would rather be a part of having uh, to process and handle situations like that through thought than fight a dinosaur one-on-one. The fact that they did not have the actual live, I really don't know what you call it, if there's a technical term for it. Um, Okay, so for Ghostbusters Minute, we did a review of the the game, very similar to this. It would cut from the cut scenes to the actual live play. Yes, yeah. I was so glad that you they they didn't do that in this. Yeah, yeah. or at least in the cut scenes that I that I watched. The quick time events that Telltale has put into the games uh, lets lets it be uh, it come across as like one solid thing. Now there are some hiccups in that, which I don't know if you experienced or not, but a lot of times they'd be in the middle of a chase from some dinosaurs, and there yeah. might have been a quick time event sequence that was maybe supposed to take 30 seconds and the person completes it like in 10 and all of a sudden the music changes immediately. Like they'll get away from the Velociraptor and it'll go from some intense music to maybe something a little bit more relieving for the character. So there are a little bit of hiccups in that, but as you're watching this as a playthrough uh, and you might want to go back and watch some of the, maybe the Batman uh, Telltale games, I think you might actually get a kick out of the story there. It presents itself as like one solid cohesive unit. So this is a lot easier to watch as a movie I think, than watching another kind of Jurassic Park game would be. But, you know, while I was watching some of the footage from this, uh, it reminded me of, you know, how we really need another new good Jurassic Park game to come out and how much I would love a Jurassic Park game in the style of Alien Isolation, where it's not about the action that's going on. It's a, it's a horror game, so you're trying to hide from Velociraptors or hide from the Tyrannosaurus Rex or solve puzzle, puzzles or something like that. I would love to see uh, Creative Assembly, the, ga- the company that made Alien Isolation, go back and maybe try a game where uh, you're 
in Jurassic World trying to go back and reclaim some of that part of the park that was lost to I nature. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could see like could hiding see in the in the environment being a really cool thing. So I really enjoyed the uh, the dialogue. I thought it was all the dialogue was very well written. Yeah, um, and I like the fact that the conversations just lasted and lasted and lasted. Like I said, I felt like I was watching a movie, and not just cutscenes kind of stapled together. What did you think about the characters? Loved them. Loved yeah. the characters. Uh, I was, you know, very much invested in each of them. I thought they each had their own plight. That was very interesting. Nima, for example, has the fact that she's she's involved in this mess so that she can, you know, get the reward to help save her daughter or whatever it is. A little bit typical or predictable, but you know what? It's a game and it's a Jurassic. But yeah, okay, let me let me rephrase that. It's uh. It's a work of fiction that's more or less intended for young adults and kids. Uh, I thought the character of Billy, the way he just kept going back and forth, sort of losing his mind and coming back and forth. And uh, all of them, anybody who was your antagonist was sort of under the impression that they were actually doing good. Dr. Laura Sorkin Mm -hmm. is one of the most interesting characters in a story I have seen as of late. It's uh, Uh, Grizzly Man. It's Grizzly Man. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, and she's yeah. been kind of locked up. You, you get that sometimes in movies, like um, Interstellar. I think the Matt Damon character, he just he was kind of lost his mind. And yeah, was like, well, there's something bigger than all of us. And everything. her plan was to release the Mosasaur into open waters. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, and all of her, you know, she was a likable person, but a complete sociopath. Yeah, and uh, the the way that the other characters had to deal with her and her issues. And each of them had their own separate way of getting at her. Like uh, Jerry Harding, um, his approach to her was very different than Billy's, say, Mm -hmm. for example. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, It made it much more unpredictable. It made me figure out who I sided with and their their approach on how to handle the things that she was thinking, which are kind of, they're good things. Right, yeah. She's one of those characters who became an extremist. Probably started off with some great ideals, but then was, uh, you know, pushed to the edge by by her own uh, viewpoint of the world. Right, and you can also tell that there might have been some favoritism shown in the past when she says that she kind of lost the position of head geneticist to Dr. Wu, and she went to the field, as she says. So that might have also given her a little bit of a push. Yeah. Um, I didn't didn't think her death was that cheesy. Once she fell into the thing, I kind of saw it coming. But it could have been a lot, lot cheesier. But yeah, uh, but yeah I, so I found that, that character particularly interesting. Yeah. I really did. I really did. I liked Nima's character and felt that there was a lot of parallels between uh, what she was going through and what they were dealing with, specifically in the Bone Shaker sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which the Bone Shaker sequence, I guess, is a is it, the Bone Shaker was a roller coaster that was not finished in development, and it was on the side of a mountain. And in order to put it in, they had to knock down a one thousand year old staircase that was yeah. put there by the tribes that were indigenous to the island. And of course, you know, she's a relative of those tribes, so she has a personal. Uh, you know, this this company came in and they developed this piece of property there and they pushed her people out. And now what she's having to do to find a way to live is to try to, you know, make money off of it, working against the company yeah. and stealing the stuff. So you kind of understand where she's coming from. You understand her plight. And then they were able to tie it back into the game and or the story in a really cool way. Like Injin, uh, you know, some people still look at Injin as like, you know, a, like a a fictional, uh, a good fictional company, not yeah. like, you know, the Whalen Corporation from Alien or something like that. They're really not. They're incredibly arrogant. They think they're always right. And, you know, they they act like they're in pursuit of, like, saving the environment and stuff like that. And they're, like, destroying, you know, the, the cult- cultural heritage of this, the indigenous people of uh, Isla Sorna. So, but um, what did you think about the Bone Shaker sequence in the game? I, at first I thought it was... You know, you, they walk up to it, they see a roller coaster, and I'm like, okay, I know where this is going to go. Yeah. That is 
not always a bad thing. Yeah. When you can see something as predictable, that doesn't mean it's it's going to suck. It means it's well-written sometimes. It yeah. means it's well-written. Yeah. Uh, and I was impressed with the way they handled it. The fact that um, it kind of broke up, the fact that when you have dino action, I guess I'll call it, uh, it's it's always in the same setting. It's on flat ground. Right. It's either outside or in some creepy, Hiding in a building. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And this kind of shook that up. You yeah. know, you've got... Uh, <laughs> so roll- to speak. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> But you've got a roller coaster that you have to manage the speed of mm-hmm. and make sure it's like staying on the right tracks and everything, as well as dinosaurs, uh, you know, trying to eat you while you're on it. And it's very cool that a dinosaur we hadn't seen in Jurassic Park up to this point, the uh, Herrerasaurus, I believe, yeah. uh, they were they were chasing them down uh, on the Bone Shaker roller coaster. But this is one of the things that I've always wanted to see in Jurassic Park was the, you know, development of the rides that people are having, to, the absurdity of them running through a broken down amusement park ride while being followed by these predatory creatures, you know, that that would make for some really cool action sequences. And unfortunately, you know, none of the movies really ever pursued well. Jurassic World did, I guess, to a degree, but uh, Jurassic Park uh, didn't go back in, in in the Lost World and do that. And that was, I, I thought, a missed opportunity. But this game at least tried. I do like the part where she walks up, or Jess walks up to the Bone Shaker, and she pulls a piece of plywood off, and it's a Mister Di- uh, DNA. Uh, trying yeah, to say yeah, you yeah. have to be this tall in order to ride the ride. I thought that was a really cool way to incorporate that in, and uh, I thought that was really funny. But yeah, I liked uh, I liked the design and the look of the roller coaster. They even had one of the carts uh, for a wheelchair, which uh, in amusement parks every now and then, really? if you're standing in line, yeah, if you're standing in line, there'll, there'll be a flat platform. Well, that's what I took it. Maybe it was one that just didn't have the seats put in yet because this this ride was not finished production. There's usually a uh, a cart. That is flat, so a wheelchair can go in yeah. and lock in place. Usually not on roller coasters because that wouldn't be the best thing to do for a person right. in a wheelchair, yeah. you know, uh, get shaken loose or something. But for slower, dark rides, they'll have something like that. So, anyway, I, I, I thought that was a pretty cool scene. So, one of the most interesting things that this game did was talk about the history of Isla Nublar. Yeah. And the character of Nima uh, is a descendant of the tribe that used to live on Isla Nublar before they were forced to leave due to Injun's presence, uh, before Injun bought the island from Costa Rica mm-hmm. and built the park. Yeah. Um, the Jurassic Park Wikia page has a pretty good rundown of that history. I'll read some. Sure, go ahead. And this is really cool because this is something I never even considered. I didn't know that people lived there previously. I had always accepted that it was just a, a, an island with nothing. Maybe it was an aviary or something like that that the that they had sold. Uh, Costa Rica had sold off to Engine or leased to Engine. I didn't know that there was an actual group of people there. So it makes the history of that island even more tragic. Yeah. So here's uh, Jurassic Park Wiki's rundown of it. Uh, in, in quote, this is before Engine came in. Thousands of years ago, people from the American continent arrived at Isla Nublar. They evolved into the Bribri tribe and called themselves the Tunsi, that means watermen. The Tunsi were mostly fishermen, and Nima Cruz, who is our antagonist in Jurassic Park the Game, is a member of this tribe. The Spanish navigator, Diego Fernandez, was one of the first, what, excuse me, was the uh, first European to discover the island in 1525. He's often credited to the cartographer. So after John Hammond abandoned the idea of a small Jurassic Park in San Diego, his company, Engine, looked for a larger, isolated preserve. Costa Rica agreed to lease the island to Engine. The Tunsi tribe was fully displaced from the island in 1987. So it's a very cool backstory for both the island and for the character of Nomi. Yeah. And uh, she actually mentions that there are certain structures. She mentions that there are certain structures that the park uh, were built for the park that completely just demolished the uh, tribal, you know, um, places. Like, like the staircase that she was talking about. Exactly. Wouldn't it be really cool 
for there to be maybe in Jurassic World, if they found some of these structures that the dinosaurs were living in now, yes. like old temples and things like that, that were now inhabited by velociraptors. That would it's be almost awesome. as like, you know, humans replaced dinosaurs, built structures, like Ian Malcolm says, <laughs> and then <laughs> the humans are now gone in nature and the dinosaurs have retaken these things. That's I think right. that'd be very cool. It was pretty cool to see. Um, so Jurassic World had a lot of really, really, really cool viral marketing. For it. And on one of the many like fake websites, uh, they talked about it very briefly the history of Isla Nublar, and they actually mentioned the Bribri tribe and all of this really? stuff. Yeah, from uh, so from, it's in canon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's very cool. That's and very cool to reincorporate that. They even have here. I'll show it to you. So it's like a really old map with all kinds of distress on it of cool. Isla Nublar from before engine came in. So I thought that was that's one of my favorite parts of the game was the fact that they touched on the history of Isla Nublar. And uh, just that's something it did not have to do. I mean, it it took a lot of time out of the game to give you this backstory. And uh, I thought that was cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm glad that they have the human element of the whole thing, too. I mean, this is kind of a parallel to, like, deforestation and tribes in South America that are being forced out of where they live uh, in order for there to be development. And uh, it's kind of cool they pulled the human element back in alongside the environmental element that they talk about in Jurassic Park. And, you know, kind of the science, ethical, you know, that whole thing. So, you know, the game does have some interesting themes that it, it hints at exploring. Uh, but maybe it doesn't get too deep into. But yeah. uh, I, you know, I don't know that that's really when you're playing a video game. What you want is forward momentum, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes uh, too much of a story will slow everything down. You know, sometimes video games try to bite off more than they can chew. It's like you know, it's not really about the story so much as it is about feeling like a badass in a game. Yeah. You know, here's why I think they did it uh, the perfect amount. Like I said, I'm not a gamer. I'm here for the story, yeah. and I think it was just enough that it didn't interfere with someone who isn't looking for that, mm-hmm. it wouldn't take them out of it, take them away from it. Yeah. And for me, it was just enough to keep me entertained before I thought, okay, it's going a little, little too deep, a little yeah. too overboard. Yeah. Um, which is just all the more to the, to the writing, uh, to, to the credit of the writers of the game. The game of Thrones game they did was really cool because there is a house that's loyal to the Starks. They're like bannermen of the Starks. And I, I want to say they're like Ironwood is the name of their, uh, their, their house. And it takes, it, it, they're not mentioned really at all in the Game of Thrones TV show, but they tie in the plot to Game of Thrones in a really cool way where you're like, okay, all this action is happening around what was happening in the battle between the Starks and the Lannisters at that point in the story. So they, they do a really good job, I think, of placing this stuff right outside of the action that you see on screen. And I think they did that with the Back to, Back to the Future games, because in the Back to the Future games, you actually are Marty McFly going back to the Enchantment Under the Sea dance where Marty McFly from 2 was seeing Marty McFly from oh 1. So you're a third oh version of Marty God. McFly during that whole thing. Now, you know who needs to do a uh, Patreon episode covering uh, they that? They very well may have, but they go ahead. They very well may have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nick and Scott from over at Back to the Future Minute. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Uh, if they have, I'm, I'm not aware of it. But uh, <laughs> if not, guys, get on it. So rewatching this stuff, one of the characters that I thought was really cool was the alpha female Triceratops that we get to see oh, uh, yeah, who comes yeah. out. Well, I think her name was Margaret or something like that. <laughs> Miss Margaret or something. Uh, she, she has a name. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't I remember what it, it is. Uh, but she shows up and you actually get to see a battle between a T-Rex and a Triceratops, which you know had, hadn't been done in the movie. All we saw was a t- that uh, Triceratops that had was sick in, in Jurassic Park. So that was kind of cool. Was there cool. any? And I, I, of course, like the Bone Shaker sequence and some of the stuff that happened early on in the game in the Visitor Center where... The Tyrannosaurus Rex is there, having just killed the Velociraptors. I tell you what moment really stuck out to me. What's that? Um, was when 
right at the very end, the T-Rex is chasing Harding around over the uh, shipping crates. Yes. That yeah. was awesome. Now, one of those shipping crates, I believe, in the story had come over from Site B, and that's where we get the Velociraptors in this story from, that they were actually extra sh- shipped over from Site B <laughs> really? that made their way out of the uh, shipping containment unit. Yeah, because, I mean, all the Velociraptors were killed by the, the Tyrannosaurus Rex in Jurassic Park. So the Velociraptors here would have to come from somewhere else. Did you think it was cool that they actually, uh, you know, spent some time going back to Nidri's Jeep and you can actually see his yes, body and everything? I did. Yeah. Now, like I said, I am dangerously so uh, nostalgic yeah. through and through. To be able to go back and see some of this stuff from the original film in detail and they just linger on yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it was awesome. And you're even inside the Jeep with him at one point. Being able to go back to the visitor center. Love it. Being able to, uh, like you said, go back to Nidri's Jeep. Loved it. Also being able to explore all of these new parts of the park that we hadn't seen before. Yeah. Uh, all the really kind of industrial looking things. The fact that... Um, okay, here's my question. Do you think that's the same Mosasaur from Jurassic World? Uh, well, it could be. It very well could be. I mean, given... I don't know what their lifespan would be. It would seem pretty big there. It would have to continue yeah. to eat something in order to stay alive. That's so I, I would think probably not that it would probably be a different one. Uh, probably lives in the same place that the Mosasaur in Jurassic World was living in. You know, one thing... I think I've talked about this some on the show, but I hate it when... Uh, sequels or continuations of stories revisit uh, material that they had previously done. But I want to clarify what I'm trying to say there. I don't mind uh, places being revisited. I don't mind characters being revisited. I don't like plot structure being revisited. So if there's something that happened in, uh, let's say, Speed is the one that I usually go back to. When I watched Speed originally, you know, they, I thought it was pretty cool that you know the 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 bus jumped an unfinished yeah. piece of uh, you know track or whatever, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then the train. then you get later on, and the train also encounters a track that's not finished, and I was like, wait a minute, you can't do that. You literally just use that plot point or that kind yeah. of story structure earlier on. I thought that this was able to revisit some sets uh, and a kind of action sequence places from the fir- from the first movie. And do it in a new way. You know, they, they picked up on the logical progression of what would happen if somebody went in and tried to get that Barbasol can. Yeah. You know, that they come across Nidri's body and they have to run away from Dil- Dilophosaurus, but they do it in a new way. Right. So I thought that the majority of the experiences that were had in this game were different enough from other things that had happened in Jurassic Park to make it to make it new. That's why, yeah, I'm, so I'm saying the same thing, is if they were ever going to do, go back to that shaving cream thing, this was the only way it could have been done. Right, yeah. And it was handled perfectly. It, it reminded me a lot of conversations I had when I was in high school, you know, of like how they could do a Jurassic Park sequel. Like, well, that can is still out there. They go yeah. get same way as like, well, Terminator Three could always go back to the fact that you know uh, the T eight hundred pulled its arm off in a piece of uh, construction oh, yeah. equipment in the smelting yeah. factory. So these like <laughs> playground conversations, yeah. I think that yeah, became exactly. uh, you know these people were probably having those same conversations. So whenever Telltale Games finally makes uh, their Terminator game, I expect for them to go back and revisit that arm that's still sticking yeah. out of a machine. So you know. Um, it occasionally, uh, the game made reference to things from the movie, just very briefly. Sarah Harding was one of them. Uh, they even mentioned Peter Ludlow, the villain from Lost World. Yeah. And even the very end, whenever they finally realized that uh, Nima is going to be okay, her daughter's going to be okay, because the money mm-hmm. that was going to be handed off to Nidri was in that boat. Yeah. That was the boat. And even the bag that it was in looked like the one Dotson gave him. Yeah, in, in the beginning of the film. Yeah. So, How did you like the fact that uh, Dodson was kind of brought back as a I plot point? Yeah, loved, yeah. Um, I love the fact that Biosyn was yeah. a, was a character in this. Uh, that that mythology has a lot of room to work around and explore a lot of stuff, and I felt that they did a better job in this than a lot of the actual literal Jurassic Park. See, I mean, yeah. you know, but but the Lost World was about exploring themes. It wasn't about exploring plot points that were brought up previously. You know. 
Um, I don't know if Jurassic World so much in Jurassic Park 3 definitely wasn't. Jurassic Park 3 was more of the uh, action sequel to Lost World than anything else. So this felt to me like the Jurassic Park 3 uh, to Lost World to the original Jurassic Park. So, but uh, yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit. Being someone who was not familiar with it, I don't know it's going to make me go out and buy it because from what I've heard, the gameplay in the game didn't work out the best. It's, you know, I think these Telltale games work the best when it's characters uh, talking to each other and saying very bold things and having to react that way. Some of the action stuff is pretty good, uh, but I think they work better in dialogue conversations yeah. rather than they do actual action. Absolutely. Um, I'll say this as a final thought. I will. I can definitely see myself uh, watching this again, just sitting yeah. down and putting this on. Granted, it's four hours, so I'll probably be over, <laughs> you know, just skipping around or something like that. But yeah, I very, very, very much enjoyed watching this, and uh, definitely think I'll go back to it again at some point. Would I recommend it to someone else? Absolutely. Jurassic yeah. Park fan, definitely. Anybody else who's just looking for an entertaining uh, action thriller type of thing that comes from a different medium, that being a video game. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely a different way to revisit uh, the Jurassic Park source material. But uh, if you want to play it, it is still available on uh, Microsoft Windows. You can get it on Steam, uh, OS X, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and iOS. So you can actually play it on your phone uh, if you or iPad if oh, you really? if you want to do that. Yeah, it, it is available there. Um, but uh, I would say that I would kind of maybe not recommend someone to actually play it, uh, only because I have heard mixed reviews about how the gameplay comes out. But if you want to experience the story, uh, there are a lot of breakdowns out there on YouTube, and I will say it actually has a pretty compelling, pretty cool story. Uh, if you're a fan of Jurassic Park and you haven't experienced this yet, it might be worth your time to go out there and watch it. Just like you said, uh, because it's a video game, it's four hours long, uh, so you might want to put together or you know, watch it in chunks. Maybe is the best way to do it. I think people have broken it up out there to like hour and a half long sections. You yeah. can watch an hour and a half, an hour and a half, an hour and a half. Uh, because it is broken up over chapters. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah um, definitely. But. Yeah, that's my thoughts. All right, Brady, well, you ready to go ahead and get out of here? Let's do it. All right, folks, thank you so much. We're going to go play some Jurassic Park video games and get back to you on that. Uh, and as always, folks, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your patron.